Do you like uh, scary stuff? Yeah. In July of 2002, a 55-foot catamaran pulled into a port in Tahiti. It was carrying only one of the four individuals who had originally embarked on the journey. A few months later, that individual would say the following quote, Mom, I just need you to believe me. I wouldn't hurt my brother. I need to know that you love me before I die. Nobody will believe my story. Welcome back, travelers. It's time for another stop on our journey through the quirky and unusual. I'm your driver, Z Algar, and you're listening to Travels by Carriage. Today's story is the tale of Bison Dell, a famous basketball player who mysteriously went missing in the summer of 2002. If you've never heard of Bison Dell, it's because he was born by another name and played basketball under that name for most of his career. Perhaps the name Brian Williams will ring a bell. If you're not that into basketball like myself, then this one might be a new one for you. And let me tell you, it is interesting. Full of intrigue. I spent a long time hashing out the details of this story. And if you'll hang on with me for the ride, I promise you will not be disappointed. Let's start at the beginning. Brian Williams was born on an Easter Sunday in April of 1969. He was born to Mother Patricia Phillips and Father Eugene Gino Williams Jr. Now, some of us with more musical know-how may recognize this name as Eugene Williams was one of the talents in the musical act The Planters back in the 50s. Um, so Brian already emerged into a kind of high-profile family, if you will. However, uh, his mother's relationship with his father didn't last, and so he ended up growing up in a home that very much lacked a male presence. Now, that's not to say he was the only male in the home. He did have a brother who will be a pivotal part of this tale. Um, However, I found differing accounts of who was the older brother. I found one article that said that Brian Williams was the younger brother by two years, and then another article that said that he was the older brother. So I'm not sure. I do know that they were pretty close in age. So after the father leaves the family, you have Brian and his brother, whose birth name was Kevin. He will go on to change his name, but until we get to that point in history, I will refer to them as their birth names, Brian and Kevin Williams. So for now, we follow Brian. Brian always had a uh, real knack for track and field in school. So that's where he really thrived. But he had a growth spurt early in high school. And at that point, the coaches started paying attention to him. He was quite tall. Um, in adulthood, he would reach a height of six foot 11. And basketball coaches noticed this right away. I may or may not have mentioned that he was born in Fresno, California, and grew up in the California area. And so after this big growth spurt, he is scouted by the coaches, and everything that I could find made it sound like he's really pressured into playing basketball.
So he makes the switch from track and field to basketball. Even though it's not his favorite sport, it does have a lot of opportunity for success. And he knows that and he's being told that, especially with his skill level. Because even though basketball isn't his big passion, he's quite good at it. So he plays for Santa Monica High School in Santa Monica, California. And after high school, he starts college at the University of Maryland. And again, he's playing um, basketball there. He spends one year playing for University of Maryland. And then he sits out the next season to transfer to the University of Arizona. So he will complete um, his college career there. Now, um... I couldn't see anything that said that he graduated. It looks like he actually was drafted out um, before or during his final year of college. So let's get to the big draft. Um, 1991 NBA draft. Uh, Williams is 10th pick of the first round, and he's chosen by the Orlando Magic. So here's that big moment in his life. He's pushed and strived to play this game that he really wasn't as passionate about, but he knows he could get some success from. So he's on his way. He's picked by Orlando. He um, starts playing for them. But according to all the sources I could find, he was really not happy in Orlando. Um, I couldn't find any details on what it was about Orlando. I don't know if it was the coaches, if it was the team, if it was the humid Florida weather. I don't know. But he wasn't happy there. So unhappy that he would eventually attempt suicide. Now, obviously, this catches the attention of the Orlando Magic, and he kind of gets benched for a while, and so he will not stay with them longer than two years. So I don't want to spend too long on his NBA career because this really isn't um, an NBA history tale, but it's important before we get to his disappearance, which is what we're building up to, to understand exactly how well-known this person was. So after playing for the Orlando Magic, Williams goes on to play two seasons with the Denver Nuggets. Um, He'll play a year with the LA Clippers, and he will go on to play for the Chicago Bulls for a while. Now, during all this time, there is a little bit of... um, heartburn between Williams and some of the teams. He's uh, portrayed in the media as a player who knows his worth in kind of an arrogant way. There are reports that he was demanding a lot of money and not really getting along with coaches and other players. Um, I take that with a grain of salt. I mean, I know that Williams was never as passionate about the game. It seemed to me like he was really doing this for the paycheck and the opportunities. Um, so who knows what that atmosphere was like. Um, but what I did find um, was specifically with the L.A. Clippers, he wanted uh, more money and they weren't willing to pay that. So he ended up sitting out. Um, one of the seasons that he was signed with them before moving to the Chicago Bulls. Um, So I've listed every team he played for except for the final team he was with. Um, And he was with them from 97 to 98. 
uh, and this was the Detroit Pistons. So he would end up ending his career. He would finish his career uh, with the Detroit Pistons. It's around this time that we get to the name change. So according to Williams himself, he decided to change his name in order to honor his ancestry. Um, he was of African-American and Cherokee descent. And so to honor this ancestry, he decided to change his name to Bison Dell. So I will be referring to him by that name going forward in order to respect those wishes. Um, it's also around this time that his brother Kevin changes his name. Now, I couldn't locate a precise reason for why he does this. Um, I'm assuming that it's a similar reason. But given what we'll learn about the relationship between uh, Bison and his brother, I'll let you make your own decisions. From here, we will go by Kevin's chosen name, which was Miles DeBoard. So, to reiterate and keep everyone on the same page, um, Brian Williams changes his name to Bison Dell. We'll now call him Bison Dell. And his brother, Kevin Williams, changes his name to Miles DeBoard. Dell would play his final game with the Detroit Pistons under the name of Bison Dell. Following his final season, he will retire before the 99-2000 season. Um, rumors said that it was because he was asking for more money than the team was willing to pay and that, once again, there were strained relationships. So this is something that was kind of rumored across his um, relationships with other teams. And the Orlando Magic, in particular, seemed to notice perhaps some mental health concerns with that suicide attempt and some other little nuanced behaviors um, that they said he exhibited. So at this point in the story, he has decided to retire at the age of 30. Now, this is when he finally is able to do the things he's really passionate about. Remember, basketball for Bison Dell was really more of a means to an end. What Bison absolutely loves is traveling. So after he retires at age 30, he travels to Lebanon, he backpacks in Australia, um, and he travels through the Mediterranean before deciding that he wants to go to sea. He was so adventurous that he already had his pilot's license, so many people weren't that surprised to hear that he also wanted to be able to um, pilot an ocean craft as well. So he purchases a 55-foot catamaran, and he calls this catamaran the Hakuna Matata. What a wonderful phrase. Please don't sue me, Disney. And he will sail many successful journeys on board this catamaran before we get to the trip that led to the events of the phone call I mentioned at the beginning of our story. So here's where our tale takes a shift. So far, I've told you about the life of Bison Dell, formerly known as Brian Williams. 
From here, we will follow Bison on his final journey on board the Hakuna Matata. What happened on this fateful trip? Well, it very much depends on who you ask. So let's start as we did before in the beginning. On July 6, 2002, Bison Dell departs from Tahiti. On board this catamaran are three additional guests. The captain of the ship, Captain Bertrand Saldo, Bison's brother, Miles DeBoard, and finally, Bison's girlfriend, Serena Carlin. Now, we haven't talked much about Serena yet, but she is described by the Orlando Sentinel as a quiet young woman who had been haunted by Bison Dell for years. Now, I have no idea what to make of that. I found very little descriptions of her aside from this mention in the Orlando Sentinel. Um, it makes me concerned that perhaps their relationship was not the healthiest if you are being haunted by someone. Um, but regardless, these are the people who depart on board the Hakuna Matata. Uh, Hakuna Matata. On July 6, 2002. Now, as I mentioned earlier, only one person is going to come back from this trip. And that person will later tell his mother, nobody will believe my story. So, dear travelers, I will present to you the facts of this case. And then I will share with you what the investigators think happened and then I will share with you what Miles himself claims occurred. But one last thing before we embark on this journey with Bison, Miles, and Serena. A few quick things to know about Miles. Most sources indicate that Miles was the older brother, although as I mentioned, there are some sources that say he was younger. He was originally called Kevin Williams, and unlike his brother, he did not excel at athletics, not because he was disinterested, but because he had asthma. So he was unable to participate in the kinds of activities his brother did. Now, some of the articles that I read on this case described Miles as socially awkward, um, they said he was an alcoholic, and they referenced his several attempts at suicide. The Orlando Sentinel has an interview with Patricia Phillips, uh, the brother's mother, um, who said, and this is a paraphrase, that as Brian's fame grew, Kevin seemed to withdraw. Um, again, we're using their new names here, so I'll use Bison. Um, Bison excelled in school, and he excelled in athletics, and he gets into the NBA. And Miles, he takes some classes at college, but he never earns a degree. Um, many people said that Bison would give him enough money to keep him afloat, but it wasn't exactly um, happily done. 
The sources that I researched seem to indicate that Bison had helped him get jobs in the past, and they never really panned out. And so, while Bison would help support him financially speaking, there did seem to be some tension around that. So, I wanted to give you a little bit of background on Miles before we jump into their trip. So, with that said, let's go. So we'll start with communications from the Hakuna Matata. There were satellite calls received by family and friends of the travelers through July 8th. So for two days, the first two days of this trip, there was confirmed communication. Um, so we assume things were going well. Sometime between July 8th and July 16th, Miles DeBoard makes a visit with his girlfriend, Erica Weiss, on the island of Morea. And he tells her that Bison and Serena are visiting a nearby island, and Captain Saldo Bertrand is also in Morea visiting family and friends. Um, Weiss would report that she really wasn't that interested in where Bison was or what he was doing because from Miles's point of view, um, Bison was the instigator of the tension between the two brothers. Um, on July 16th, a call is received at the Tahiti Marina indicating that a ship has hit a reef and is in need of assistance. So the next day, they send a skipper out to find this vessel. And it's a very kind of beaten up vessel. It's a catamaran, um, but the name has been removed and kind of peeled off of the hull. And it looks, um, it looks a little beat up. Okay, so... Um, According to the Orlando Sentinel, the ship makes it back to port accompanied by the skipper the next day, which would have been July 17th. But I found another article um, through the wiki on this that said the ship arrived back in Tahiti on July 20th. So a little discrepancy. You know, this was 20 years ago. Um, I'm not sure if it was the 17th or the 20th when the um, ship arrived back to port, but it was somewhere around that time frame. So when this ship pulls into port, as I mentioned before, it has only a single passenger, and that passenger is miles to board. So I ask you, travelers, where are Serena Carlin, Bison Dell, and Saldo Bertrand? The very same question investigators would soon be asking themselves. And at this point, there's really no alarm being sounded. I mean, um, Bison lived a very nomadic lifestyle post-retirement from the NBA. So at first, no one was really worried. And no one was asking Miles where he was. So Miles returns to the USA on July 20th. So I guess maybe that clears up our earlier discrepancy of when he arrived back to port because um, according to the notes that I saw, he actually arrives back to the U.S. on July 20th. So that would put him arriving back to port in Tahiti on the 17th, returning to the U.S. on the 20th. And he goes about his business and no one is looking for Bison, Serena, or Saldo 
until a request is received by the U.S. Mint for the purchase of a large amount of coins, and the purchase is made using a check from the checkbook of one Brian Williams, A.K.A. Bison Dell. Now, the amount of coins requested to be purchased was somewhere around the five hundred thousand dollar mark, but after some negotiations, they get it down to about a hundred and fifty-two thousand. So this is paid with check in two thousand and two.、Um, in two thousand and two, check still took quite some time to clear. So as this check is being cleared through various banks. Um, Bison Dell's wealth management office、um, notices this check, and it looks a little sus. Why does it look sus? Well, Bison's address is different from the address that his bank knows and uses. Now, remember, Bison was one of the highest-paid basketball players of his time when he chose to retire. So, the man has a substantial amount of wealth. I worked in banking, among various other previous jobs, and I can tell you that those kinds of clients get a lot of attention. So it's very likely that Bison was quite close with his personal banker,、um, and it looks like that was the case because it's really his personal banker here who notices something is wrong. He sees that the address has been changed to a Mailbox Inc. address in Miami, and the phone number. Has been changed as well. So this wealth advisor, I believe his name was Porter.、Um, don't hold me on that.、Uh, he calls the number and gets a voicemail, and he realizes right away that this is not the voice of Bison Dell. He knows his client well. This is not him. So he contacts the U.S. Mint and tells them, "Hey, I think this is fraudulent activity, and not only that, I now can't get in touch with my client." So when this individual—I'm sure you can guess who it was—when this individual arrives on September 5th to pick up his coins, he is met by police. Now, police detain. Surprise, surprise! Miles DeBoard, who has arrived here to pick up these coins, but they only hold him for a little while because, again, there's no suspicion quite yet. I mean, Porter says that he can't reach him, but so far the police are just not really up on the fact that something's wrong yet.、Um, so they hold him. But Miles says that his brother requested that he come and pick this up. That nothing fraudulent is going on. He's just making the pickup for his brother. So police will release him, and a mere days later they will regret that decision because just a few days later,、um, as the wealth management agent is trying to contact Bison. Uh, family and friends realize that they can't find Bison Dell. They can't find Serena Carlin, and no one can find the man who was captaining the ship that they left on their final trip on, Captain Saldo. So at this point, police are very, very interested in Deboard. But as the news of the disappearance of this、uh, famous basketball player starts to go viral. Deboard decides to flee. 
he runs to San Francisco from Arizona where he was going to pick up these coins and he meets up with his girlfriend again remember Erica Weiss he met up with her in Morea um, and told her not to worry about the others they were all safely accounted for um, so when he gets to San Francisco to co- to connect with his girlfriend that's when we get Miles's version of the story so he's going to confide in her what he says happens on this ship and when he does so She will immediately call the FBI. She will share everything that she knows. And DeBoard will flee to Mexico. Now, before I tell you what Miles' version of the story is, I want to tell you the outcomes for Miles. Now, Miles is going to flee to Mexico. On September 13th, a warrant is issued for his arrest. Just to give you a snapshot of where we are in the timeline, September 5th, was the original day that he was supposed to be picking up the gold coins. Police were waiting for him. They detain him briefly. He gives a seemingly plausible explanation. They let him go. So we fast forward from the 5th um, to the 13th. Sometime between the 5th and 13th, he visits with Erica. And a warrant is issued on September 13th. On September 15th, DeBoard's body would be found lying on a beach near Tijuana. Now, by this time, the warrant has gone viral and everyone's been looking for DeBoard. And when they find him, they find him unconscious on a beach near Tijuana. He would be transported to a hospital in the States where they would conclude that it looked like he had overdosed on insulin. And he would die two weeks later on September 28th. So with that, we lose the very last person who may have known what actually happened on that boat. Here is the story that Miles DeBoard shared with Erica Weiss. According to Miles, the two brothers had gotten into a fight on the ship. Um, As the two brothers were physically fighting, Serena tried to break it up. And in doing so, according to Miles, Bison accidentally knocked her to the deck where she died from the impact. The captain of the ship then insisted that they turn back to land and um, inform the authorities of what had happened. According to Miles, Bison was not about to have this and killed the captain of the ship with a wrench. From here, Miles says that he shot his brother under threat of strangulation. He told Erica that had he not shot him, he would have been killed himself. So at this point in his own tale, Miles is alone on the ship. Does he call the authorities and let them know what happened? Does he call anyone at all and ask for any kind of help? Does he make sure that these bodies can get a proper burial? Even if you've got hard feelings against your brother, what have you got against this boat captain and the girlfriend? I don't know. He doesn't do any of those things. Here's what he does do. He ties some weights to their bodies. Weights that, according to a Sports Illustrated article that later came out, were purchased by Miles just a few weeks before this trip. 
So he attaches these workout weights to the bodies and he throws them overboard. Then he goes on about his business. He visits with his girlfriend in Morea um, and is intent upon continuing his sailing trip until he hits that reef and needs a little bit of assistance. Now, we talked about how the boat was beaten up when he returned to port. Now I can tell you that there were suspected gunshots. Different articles painted a different picture on how much we're sure these were gunshots. Some people said that perhaps it was damage from the reef because repairs had been attempted to be made. So whatever the original damage was, repairs had been attempted. So the boat's name had been peeled off. It had been renamed Ariabella, and there had been an attempt to fix these um, abrasions on the boat. So this is all kind of looking a little sus. So once again, this is Miles's story. Now, I had said that I would also share with you what was found in the investigation, but alas, much of the investigation stopped here. With the death of Miles DeBoard, investigators were no longer able to talk to anyone who had been on the boat on that fateful day. I'll leave you with this. A few years after the incident, an article was published in Sports Illustrated about Bison. And in that article, an FBI agent did offer an alternate theory. The agent said that they suspected that perhaps DeBoard had used a gun to threaten all three passengers off of the boat and then abandoned them at sea. The wealth advisor that had been close to Bison said that his brother had tried many get-rich-quick schemes and none of them had ever really come to fruition. So there seemed to be some suspicion that perhaps this was all a plan. After all, the weights were purchased just a few weeks before the trip. A few more things I wanted to make known as we close out this tale. First, it just really hits me how crazy this is. A famous basketball player goes on a trip with his brother, girlfriend, and yacht captain. Only his brother returns, and it takes months for anyone to realize that anything's even wrong. And when they do, we get one side of the story, and before police can even question Miles, he dies of an insulin overdose. A memorial for both brothers was held on October 12, 2002. Previously in this podcast, I mentioned that I wasn't sure who was older or younger. This is because several articles said that Dell took care of DeBoard like an older brother should. However, it looks like those roles tended to be reversed, as Miles was the brother who was actually older. A few fun facts to close out such a morbid topic. It is reported that DeBoard had dated Madonna during his heyday. And Bison DeBoard's jersey is retired from Santa Monica High School in California in honor of his memory. And so we end the tale of Bison DeBoard. His body has never been found, nor has the body of Serena Carlin or Sardo Bertrand. I hope you found this tale interesting, travelers. Thank you for joining me as we travel through the quirky and unusual bits of history. 
I'm Z Algar, and you've been listening to Travels by Carriage. I hope you'll share your thoughts with me on this story. If you were a fan of basketball in the early 2000s and late 90s, do you remember Brian Williams, a.k.a. Bison Dell? Do you remember seeing this story in the news? What were your thoughts? And if you're new to the tale, what do you think now? Again, this is a very new podcast, episode number three, friends. I hope you are hanging in there. I'm absolutely loving digging up these details for you. Feel free to send me any ideas you have for future episodes. You can find me on all forms of social media at Travels by Carriage. So long for now, travelers.